Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. Welcome to New Life. We're glad you're here. I'm Pastor Chris. If you're here for the very first time, we're so glad that you're with us. If you've been here since we started, we're glad you're here too. And if you're any of those in-between people that came in the last 16 years, we're just glad that you're here to worship our Lord Jesus Christ and to hear, uh, I think, a very important message for all of us uh, about how we wake up the wonder in our lives. Before we get to the message, though, a couple quick things. Uh, we have been doing this month of prayer, started August 1st, and we have a guide called Reconnect. If you don't have it, I would encourage you to raise your hand right now to get one, because on page 24 is actually the scripture for today. And so if you don't have one, would you raise your hand? I know some of you don't have your because you're new here, okay? And we'll give you one so you can take it home with you. It's a daily prayer guide, as I said. And also today, the scripture from Luke chapter 5 is in there. In case you don't have a Bible, you'll be able to follow along when we get to that point. Also, in this thing, which we call our connection, is an outline. And I know some people don't like outlines, but today I'm going to talk about four very important things that you probably will want to remember. So if you get your outline out right now, you can use that through the course of the message. Before we get to that message, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, the God of the universe. You created everything that exists. You created us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, whose sacrifice on the cross gives us life, not only now, but forever. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives in us and gives us power that we could never have apart from you. Today, I pray that you would open our hearts, open up our spirits, that we might receive this message, that we might um, love you more deeply, that we might serve you more faithfully. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonder or wander. The two words sound very similar. Wonder or wander. They sound very similar, but they have absolutely radically different meanings. Wonder means to be filled with admiration, amazement, or awe, to marvel. And wonder is the focus of this brief series. As Pastor Brad said last week, our goal in this series is clear, to awaken the wonder of God inside of us so we don't miss what he has for us. To awaken the wonder of God inside of us so we don't miss what he has for us. Now, on the other hand, wander means to ramble without a definite purpose or objective, to rove, to roam or stray. The truth is, when we lose our sense of wonder, we wander. When we lose our sense of wonder, we wander. Pastor Brad focused last week on the 450 years of rationalism and enlightenment which have led to the Western culture, the culture in which we live. Americans live, we're immersed in the Western culture, and for the past 60 years, which is how long I've been alive, I've been immersed in that same culture as all of you for however long you have lived. And what I've seen is it simply has spiraled deeper and deeper into a pit of self-indulgence. There is self-magnification and self-will. I appreciated Pastor Brad's reminder, though, when he talked about Friedrich Nietzsche, I had trouble with that name last night, uh, who said that God is dead. The last slide you may remember was this slide. God is dead. And then the next slide said, Nietzsche is dead. God. Nietzsche's dead. Karl Marx is dead. All the politicians, all of the philosophers, and even all the pastors who have said that God is dead, they're all dead. Or they will be dead because all of us die. You see, all of us die. God does not die. God cannot die, but we do. And so we live in this world where we've seen rationalism 
just sort of take over. And unless we are filled with the wonder of God, we will wander down that path. And that's the, that's the theme. I'm going to say this several times. Wonder or wander. Those are the two choices that we have. And in my lifetime, rationalism has moved us to enact three laws at the Supreme Court level, which have caused us to wander farther and farther away from the wonder. I'll never forget... I started back to school in the fall of 1964. It was for second grade. I had Miss Geneva Gaston. She had the reputation of being the meanest teacher in the school, and she was. And she liked me so much, she made me have her for third grade, too. Huh? So we had Miss Gaston in second and third grade, 1964. She said the very first day of school, she had her Bible in her hand, and she said, Last year, the Supreme Court of the United States made a ruling that we could no longer read the Bible or pray together in school. So today's Bible reading is, and she opened up her Bible and she read from the Bible and she had a prayer. We prayed the Lord's Prayer every day for second grade and every day for third grade. And I'm sure every day that Miss Gasson taught, you read the Bible and you prayed. But what happened at the Supreme Court level is that they removed the Bible reading and prayer from school and they established atheism as the official religion of America. Now, I don't know if you realize that, but that's against the Constitution. The establishment of a religion is against the Constitution. Anyway, two weeks ago, we were in Cambodia. Nineteen of us from New Life were in Cambodia. We went to 18 public schools, and we were welcomed to read the Bible and pray. Isn't that ironic? Yeah, we were welcomed to read the Bible and pray. And if I did that at Nock or Mars or, you know, Katanning, any of those schools, it would be against the law. It's interesting that back in 1962 and 3 when these decisions were being made, the National Council of Churches here in America, they sided with the group that wanted to get rid of Bible reading and prayer in schools. In fact, there wasn't a single church denomination or group that sided with the ones who wanted to keep it. And, and you know why, of course, because rationalism had been around for 390 years by that time. And rationalism had told us that you don't want to have, you know, any kind of official religion. You don't want to have any religious reading because we might indoctrinate children into that faith. And we don't want to do that because rationalism says God is dead, religion is bad, and we just want to use our brains. And so that was the first decision. And my fear after 50 years without uh, such an opportunity, um, we have wandered farther and farther away from the wonder of God. Now, don't hear this as the ranting of an old man who's wanting to go back to the way things used to be. I didn't like the way things were that much when I was a little kid. I mean, there was already, I mean, you realize, since Adam and Eve decided back at the beginning, you know, Adam and Eve, the first two people, they decided they wanted to be ubermensch. I learned that word last week from Pastor Brad, Superman, Superwoman. They wanted to be Superman and Superwoman. They didn't want to follow God. They wanted to do things their way. They rejected God. So it's been a long time since things have been the way they're supposed to be. I mean, thousands and thousands of years since things have been the way they were supposed to be. So I'm not wanting to go back to some era where things were better. I'm, I'm just simply saying that when we take God out of our lives because we think he's dead or whatever, uh, we think about God that is not true, then we will wander down a path that leads to meaninglessness, ultimately. The second decision that was made, oh, actually, before we get to that, Let's look at today's take-home point. For those of you who are new, we make one point here. We seek to make one point here every week from the Word of God and, uh, and from His truth that we can take home and live out in the week ahead. And here it is. When we forget God's wonder, we are likely to wander. And rationalism and irrationalism contend that there is no God, therefore there can't be any wonder. Now, of course, even rationalists will listen to music and, you know, amazing music, and they'll have this 
move, their hearts are moved, but they, they go, well, that's just a chemical reaction. You know, that's just electrical impulses. There's really nothing to that. It's not, there's, there's really not wonder. I mean, that isn't drawing us to, to the one who is creative, who created us. No, it's not that. Or we see a beautiful sunset, you know, and if we're rationalists, we, we, we can't praise God for that because there's no God for that. You know, it, it's just some dust particles, you know, refracting off of the whatever. And so it's not really real. But the, the central truth of God is this, he exists. The central truth of God is that he exists. And the thing is, um, science, interesting thing about science, science tells us that nothing comes from nothing. Nothing comes from nothing. Science is the study of cause and effect. If there's something, then there must have been something that caused it. So if nothing comes from nothing, then why is there something <laughs> instead of nothing? If nothing comes from nothing, why is there something instead of nothing? And we believe that there's an uncaused cause, God. He always is. God can't die. God was here before we were. You know, we can die and we will die. Unless Jesus comes back first, we're all going to die. So human beings who say that God is dead are going to die. But the God who existed, he always was, he is, and he will always be. So we, um, we here at New Life understand that the wonder of God is put in our hearts so that we will turn to the God of wonder in our lives. The second Supreme Court decision that was made, which has caused us to move from the wonder of God to wandering, was the 1972 decision known as Roe versus Wade. That decision made legal what was illegal really since the beginning of creation had been, been done since shortly after the time of Adam and Eve, which was to get rid of our uh, unwanted, unborn children. Abortion has been something that has been practiced for thousands of years, and it was always illegal in every culture until 19, well, I mean, some cultures had come around before us, but in 1972, we decided that it would be okay to um, terminate the life of an unborn child, to murder an unborn child, and it makes sense if you're a rationalist or an irrationalist, because if God is dead and we're all going to die, then what difference does it make, you know, if you live or die? And so that decision was made back in 1972. And, you know, the de debate has uh, long focused on when does life begin? Well, life began when God created life. And back in Genesis 1, it says this, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our own image to be like ourselves. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So God created us, and he told us that we were going to rule with him, and we were going to multiply and fill this planet. And you realize God only created two people. God only created two people, Adam and Eve. And then he said there would be this process whereby a man and a woman would come together in a sexual union and that would produce in a wondrous fashion a new child, a person, a little boy, a little girl. And during that nine months when this child was being formed, that child would be inside of the mother in a wondrous process. And the birth comes and then there's another child and there would be more children and they would do the same thing and there would be more and more and more and more. And this wondrous process is a process that my wife Nancy and I so eagerly wanted to participate in for the first nine years of our life. And, and it never happened. The wondrous process never happened for us. We never could have a child. And then one day, Nancy found out she was pregnant, and it was wonderful. 
It was a wonderful day. But very shortly after that, we found out that our child would never be born. Uh, Nancy had a miscarriage. And uh, then a year later, uh, she got pregnant again. The wonderful process started. Then Abby was born. Eventually, four years later, Emmy was born. And we had the wonderful process of seeing little babies grow into little girls, grow into teenagers, and grow into wonderful adults. And even though right now they're on a detour, they're following the path of rationalism right now, even though they're into that, it's still a wonderful thing that the God of the universe created this process that at every stage is wonderful. And so we live in a culture of death. Rationalism and irrationalism always lead to death. After all, if God is dead, we're all going to die. So what? If uh, we're creating this society of ubermensch, supermen and superwomen, we've got to get rid of the ones that aren't going to be supermen and superwomen, right? We have to decide which ones are good enough and which ones aren't. Now, please hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. Here's what I'm saying. I do not condemn any woman who's ever had an abortion in this culture because you've been taught since you were born that that which is inside of you isn't really a person, that that which inside of you uh, may be not, you know, not normal, and you don't want to bring a not normal child into the world because that wouldn't be a good thing. Or maybe it's inconvenient. Or maybe it's just bad stewardship because if you're poor and you don't have enough money to support the child or you don't have the right support network to support the child, that it would be a good thing to get rid of the child. Of course, we don't say child, we say fetus. Because child would make it a person and we really don't want to get rid of people. Even rationalists sort of don't want to get rid of people, but, but sort of they do. So anyway... Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, we visited children's home, one in Rancor in Bantemiche province, one in Siem Reap, and the children in that orphanage, uh, as soon as we got out of the vans, they came and they hugged us, and I, it's like, you know, they're just mauling you with love. It's an incredible thing, and I thought to myself, you know, these children were given up by their parents who couldn't raise them, or, or they, their parents were dead. Um, and, and how wonderful that somebody cared enough to see that they would be able to live. And now they're going to grow up and they're going to know the love of Jesus and the care of Jesus. And their lives are going to be so meaningful. And it's so much easier to condemn a woman that's had an abortion than it is to stand alongside of her and, and f- show the love and, and forgiveness of God. Or to find a, a young pregnant woman and say, we're going to stand with you. Whatever that means, we're going to stand with you through this period of time. So a culture of death leads to death. It's just natural. And then actually, you know, we've now started on both ends of the spectrum, the, the abortion thing and the euthanasia thing. Um, you know, I hope that, you know, <laughs> I hope whenever I get old and can't preach anymore, y'all won't get rid of me. But anyway, okay. So the most recent Supreme Court decision to undermine God's, uh, God's order in creation, which has eliminated so much of the wonder, of life is the recent one which eliminated the idea that marriage is between a man and a woman. Uh, it has established, that was established by God. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, he said, a man will leave his father and mother and they, uh, he will be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And that's the, the natural process that, um, that God uses so that we have more people. And even if you're a rationalist, evolutionist, it really doesn't make sense for two men and two women to be together because that won't even create more offspring, if you know what I'm saying. So the bottom line is God had a thing that would produce wonder. And here's what the rationalists and irrationalists say. They say, do you really want to deny two men or two women who love each other the opportunity for that wonderful experience? 
You see, here's the truth. The truth is that God created the wonderful experience of marriage between a man and a woman. And if two men or two women want to come together, that isn't marriage, whatever we may call it. And again, I'm not condemning homosexuals. I'm not condemning those who have practiced or are practicing because you've lived in a society uh, all of your life. And, and for 450 years, we have said, God is dead. There's no truth. There's no morality. You do you. I'll do me. And this is the result we get from that. So there's no aspect of our culture that has changed more rapidly or radically than this area of sexuality. Uh, and we have wandered far from God's design. There's no doubt about that. Um, we have settled for lust instead of love. We've settled for alcohol and other drugs instead of the spirit of the living God. We've settled for consumerism instead of stewardship. We've settled for thrills instead of wonder. <laughs> that, that's what we have done because that's what rationalism always does in our lives. Now, if you're thinking, Pastor Chris, you're, <laughs> what are you telling us this for? You know, we're here. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit that he's given us new life. We believe all this. Why are you so hard on us this morning? I'm not being hard on us this morning. I'm simply stating a, a, a reality that e either we will experience wonder or we will wander. Th those are the only two choices. We will experience the wonder of God or we will wander. And there are four options that any of us, at any given time in our life, we're going to come to this point. We're going to sift through all of the information that we have at our disposal. And we're going to come to one of four conclusions. And here they are. They're in your outline if you want to write them down. The first one is this. God is alive. And a relationship with him through Jesus Christ is the way to power, presence, and purpose. The second option is there are many paths to God and religion is the means to search the paths. The third one is God is dead if he ever existed and rationalism is the means to a super race of supermen and superwomen. Or four, there is no meaning or purpose to life that can be found. Reality may not actually exist and irrationalism is our path. So it's either ra relationship, religion, rationalism, or irrationalism. Those are our only four choices. You can turn on any news service and you can see something going on and you can see how, how what I'm saying is true. For example, let's say a Muslim uh, person blows himself up, herself up, and blows up 20 other people. Now, that Muslim believed that when, that when, when their eyes opened again, they would be in paradise, and Allah would be pleased because of what they did. That's the way of religion. There are many different ways of religion. Now, the rationalist or the irrationalist would say, well, look, that shows you what happens with religion. We need to get rid of all the religions because religion leads to extremism. If we just didn't have any religion, everything would be good. The Christian looks at that and says, that's a sinful action. And the only solution to sin is Jesus Christ, his forgiveness. But of course, if you're dead, you can't really repent. But all of us who are alive can. And so we can, in the framework of our lives, we'll choose one of those four things. And if you're a little confused about rationalism and irrationalism, rationalism, is, as Pastor Brad so well described last week, is the result of science and philosophy coming together to you know, eliminate God, develop how we can come into being supermen and superwomen. So it's rational thought. That's why it's called rationalism, right? But irrationalism is the logical extreme of rationalism. Uh, Irrationalism says there is no truth. There's no God, so there's no truth. There is no truth, so you can't really be rational. We might not be here. Like Maybe you're all just imaginary, and maybe I'm imaginary. Maybe you're not sitting there, and maybe I'm not standing up here talking. <laughs> a little bit strange, but that's what some people believe. It's just all a dream or an illusion. So 
I've heard it said this way. Rationalism is a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat that doesn't exist. And irrationalism says, what room? Okay. So, now I realize many extremely intelligent people follow the way of rationalism, follow the way of irrationalism, follow the way of many of the world's religions. So what right do I have to stand up here this morning and say to you, that God is alive in a relationship with him through Jesus Christ is a way to power, presence, and purpose. The way I have the right to say that is through one simple word. It's called revelation. Revelation. The God who exists revealed himself to us through his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. That's how I have the right to stand up here and say that. I don't have any right in and of myself. In fact, we're going to turn to the Bible right now, and we're going to look at a situation, one situation that occurred during Jesus' earthly ministry that demonstrates how people responded to him and how we can respond to him uh, as well. So if you have your Bible or if you want to turn to page 24 in this book, it's going to be Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. It says, One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. So depending on which of the four lenses you're looking through right now, you will hear that verse, and you will think one of these things. If you're coming from, from relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going, finally, we finally get into the Bible. Pastor Chris usually gets to the Bible so much sooner than this. I'm so glad we're finally getting to the Bible. If you're, number two, religion, you say, oh, Jesus, he's a great holy man. If you're a Muslim, you consider him a prophet. If you're a Buddhist or a Hindu, you say, well, you know, Jesus came so much after our teachers, we don't even remember, you know, there's nothing in our writings about him. But every world religion at least acknowledges that Jesus was a holy man and a righteous teacher. Um, and then if you're a rationalist or irrationalist, what you say is, oh, a bunch of myths and legends, you know, and for the weak, you know, weak people might need that crutch of religion, but, uh, you know, it's just a story. That's all it is. So then it says, some men came carrying a, paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and they took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. You know, these four men believed something so strongly about Jesus that they brought their paralyzed friend who could never walk to him. They carried him. And when they got to the door and they couldn't get in the house, they said, that's not stopping us. They went up on top of the roof, which was all the roofs were flat roofs in those times, and they pulled off some tiles, and they lowered Jesus in front of them. How did they come to believe so strongly that Jesus could do something? Well, first of all, they weren't rationalists. They weren't irrationalists. They believed that there was the power of God. The wonder of God was available, and they knew that something could be done. Maybe they had seen Jesus heal somebody else. Maybe they had just heard about Jesus healing other people because Jesus was starting to get pretty well known by this time. In any case, they believed, and, and that's the key thing I want you to understand. They believed that Jesus could heal their friend, and faith always moves us to wonder. Faith moves us to wonder. When we believe in the power of God, we will do things that are incredible. In, in fact, an irrationalist or an irrationalist would say incredibly stupid. I mean, why would you carry a paralyzed man all the way from his house to a home of a guy who, who's not even a doctor, who doesn't have any medical equipment? Why would you do that? But if you have faith, you believe that this God is able to do something, and you believe that there's a possibility that the hurts and habits and hang-ups of our life that have held us back don't have the final word that the wonder of God does. So then it says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. 
But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Now, don't dismiss this. Jesus' friend's faith. I mean, the the paralytic's friend's faith. Jesus saw these four guys. He didn't see the paralytic. You know, there's no faith in the paralytic. There was faith in the four men. He looked up and he saw these four guys. He went, whoa, you guys have faith. And because of that, he looked at the man and said, your sins are forgiven. Wow. That's incredible. Your sins are forgiven. That wasn't what the guys wanted. The guys wanted their friend to walk. But Jesus started with, your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sins, right? Pharisees recognized that. And so here's the thing that we know. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what you know. Life begins, wonder begins with the forgiveness of sin. Until we're forgiven from our sins, we don't have wonder. I mean, we might wonder, you know, is like, what's going on? But the wonder of God comes in when we receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so this man is now has this opportunity for wonder. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're all upset about it. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. It says in verse 22. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. So which is easier, forgiving sins or telling somebody who can't walk to stand up and walk? Jesus knew that only God can do either. The Pharisees knew that only God can do either. And so what was being done here? Jesus was showing people that he was God. And again, if you're a rationalist, you're a rationalist. Oh, this is a nice story, but I don't believe it. If you're a religionist, maybe you say, whoa, you know, maybe that religion is better than my religion. Or if you're already a follower of Jesus, you're going, go Jesus, right? I mean, we know that Jesus can do all of these things. So the man was filled with wonder. This man, he got, you know, Jesus said, stand up. He didn't stand up. He jumped up. You know, I mean, he didn't limp up. He, he didn't like, you know, oh, he hadn't walked ever. And now all of a sudden, boom, he jumps up. And he goes home doing what? Praising God. The wonder of God filled this man's life. I bet you everybody, I bet you he had a long time going home going, hey, look at me, I can walk, you know. Isn't that wonderful? Now, here's the thing. Everybody saw this. All the crowd, all the Pharisees, the four guys. So what's going to be the response? You see, that's the question. What's going to be the response? And here we say, it says, everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. They praised God. We have seen amazing things. You know, here's a question I want to ask all of us this morning. What does it take for us to be gripped with the great wonder and awe. What does it take for us to be, you know, we who live in a rationalist society, 450 years of rationalism, we, got, we overthink everything. What does it take? Two weeks ago, I got to be part of a team that had the wondrous experience of casting a demon out of a young woman. I'll tell you what, huh, that was wonderful. It, was, it caused wonder and awe. I was gripped with amazement, and, and so was everybody on the team that was part of that. And when I was 17 years old and my brother Ken had the cornea of his eye torn and our pastor prayed for him and it was healed, I was gripped with wonder and awe. And dozens, maybe hundreds of times in between those two times, the same thing has happened and I've seen and experienced the wonder and amazement of the living God of the universe. You see, when we 
experience anything in life, there are only four ways we can interpret it. There's only four lenses. We can say, wow, that was God. Or we can say, well, you know, my religion doesn't allow for that to happen. Or we can say, the rationalist says, well, you know, this is just a myth or a legend. The irrationalist is still saying, whatever. Don't really care. Don't really know. The interesting thing is the Pharisees, the religious teachers who didn't think Jesus was all that, at least for that moment, they were too gripped with amazement and awe. I love Acts chapter 15. If you read your Bible, you may know that Acts 15, uh, there's a council meets in Jerusalem, and it says that there were some believers there who were Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees eventually were gripped with wonder so much, probably when Jesus rose from the dead. You know, they got him killed by the Romans, and then he comes back to life, and they're like, oh, maybe we got this wrong. And so then they, too, were gripped by wonder. So what's my point? Many in Jesus' day rejected Jesus and continued to wander. But those who received Jesus into their life, those who surrendered themselves to him, they were always, at the end of the moment, gripped with wonder. We can go with the flow of our culture. We can believe you do you, I'll do, you, do me. You can say this is all an illusion, 450 years of rationalism piled on top of millennia of sin have distorted the reality that it always comes down to this, wonder or wander. It's what's going to happen. So if you've been wandering through life, if you've been gripped in, uh, you know, rationalism or irrationalism or some other religion, I would encourage you this morning to surrender all of that to Jesus. Let his wonder fill your life right now. His salvation, he called it. In fact, he said, what happens when you do that is so incredible that it's a new birth. Jesus called it being born again in John 3. And, you know, here in this culture, rationalistic culture, doesn't like the term born again. It's a little creepy. It's not creepy at all. It's amazing. So if you've never experienced it, it's, it's simple, not easy. What I always, how many times do I say simple, not easy around here? It's simple. You just simply say, I was wrong. That's a hard thing for a rationalist to say. I was wrong. And I now confess that I need Jesus in my life. And I want to have the life that's truly life. I want that power, that presence of God to be now in me. And if you do that right now, it changes everything. <laughs> and you will open up your eyes tomorrow with a different view of life. So here's the commitment for today. I will live in wonder so I don't wander this week. Imagine the difference when you wake up tomorrow morning and you say, good morning, Lord, instead of good Lord. It's morning. Right? A little bit of faith, just this much faith in the living God, the great God of wonder is so much better than a ton of faith in yourself. I don't care what we put our faith in. If it isn't the, faith, if it isn't the living God of the universe in Jesus Christ, it's just going to be disappointment for all of our lives. We'll wander and wander and wander, and we'll never experience the wonder. So, Let's pray, and let's ask God to fill us with that wonder right now once again. Almighty God, I do thank you so much that you're there, that when we pray to you, you're hearing and listening. In fact, you tell us that you know what we're going to say before we pray it, but you still want us to pray. God, I pray for anyone in the room, anyone in the room who's still confused, 
still wandering, still not sure. God, none of us are 100% sure. That's what faith is all about. So I pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit right now. I pray for each of us, God, if we have been following you, that you would empower us to follow you even more deeply, that our faith would increase. And God, I pray for those who just trusted you now, that you would let them know the joy and the wonder of this new life, that they would be gripped with amazement right now and ongoingly throughout life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.